Welcome back to another episode of This Week in College Viability. Hi, my name is Gary Stocker. Catherine Knott from Inside Higher Education posted a story today, and it got a lot of attention in my email box this morning. I had quite a few folks dropping me notes saying, Gary, hey, did you see this? And it, of course, was a story about the new Department of Education rules and procedures for college mergers. And as I looked through the article and pondered how we have covered things here over the last uh, few years at College Viability, I, I really, as I read this, I, I realized that these new DOE college merger rules don't mean a whole lot. Uh, there's already market pressures on both public and private colleges, and they will continue to move forward toward consolidation in some format. These recently released DOE rule changes on mergers aren't going to substantively change the direction of the higher education market. It was already headed toward consolidation, and I'll talk in more details about what I think that will look like in a minute. The Department of Education, DOE, changes in merger criteria and processes are only going to expedite market forces, I think, that are already in place. And specifically, and the Inside Higher, the Inside Higher Education article notes this, there will be more closures and fewer consolidations. And of course, I always use the word consolidations instead of mergers. I don't want to scare too many people. And I've already said in previous posts, in previous podcasts, that many financially stressed private colleges wait too long to engage in consolidation discussions. They typically wait so long, as I have previously stated, that any potential partners who look at the finances of those challenged colleges regularly take a hard pass. They say, no, I'm not interested. And I continue to argue, right or wrong, that the die is already cast for many, many smaller, mostly rural, private colleges. And even on my own list, a list I use for my own purposes, I have 200 plus private colleges throughout the country on my college viability watch list. And I use four criteria. I'll give you the criteria. I'm not going to share the numbers with you. I use FTE enrollment. I use admission yield. I use four-year graduation rates and endowment as the four criteria. And while it's unlikely that all 200 plus will close, they almost certainly will not all close, it is all but certain that many will. And let's just look at some numbers for a second. Let's, let's assume for an example, this is a fictional example, let's assume that 30, 30 more colleges close in the next many months. And again, let's assume that each has an average of 1,000 students. If 60% of those students look for another college, there will be 18,000 students to fill seats in the remaining colleges. But if historical data is accurate, we may lose, the United States may lose 12,000 college students if their current college closes. It's about 50-50, 40-60 kind of mix right now. When a college closes, about half move on to another college, about half do not. It's a generalization. I can also make the case that if, if a concentration of these colleges occurs in high-risk areas of the Midwest and high-risk areas of the Northeast, it's reasonable, it's reasonable to predict that the supply of college seats and the demand for those college seats, which is really out of whack right now, might start approaching an equilibrium of sorts. There might be not as many seats available 
and more college students seeking those seats. That's kind of the equilibrium that I'm talking about. And if such, it's probably going to decrease pressures on tuition discounting, because we know that's in the vicinity of 55 to 60% on average, and provide surviving colleges with improved net tuition revenue. This will lessen the financial pressure on those colleges that survive, and possibly, and I think probably, negating their need to look for consolidation or merger partners. This will lead to a consolidation of sorts in the sense that there will be fewer colleges on the supply side and increased demand from students for those available seats. So another way to look at that is there will be consolidation, but it will be because so many colleges close. There's another consideration not addressed in the Inside Higher Education story by Catherine Knott. In my reading, there is no Department of Education rule that addresses the absolute cash purchase of a private college. For example, if a non-education company wants to acquire for cash, for the sake of our argument, its own college or set of colleges to create its own vertical integration of labor supply to meet its own supply needs, how would that work? Would the Department of Education step in and say, no, you can't do that? Take it one step further. What if there developed a consortium of organizations that came together to create a talent supply process that is not being met by current college offerings? I don't see how the new rules impact a cash purchase. And finally, I want to send a kind of a sidebar note. From this Inside Higher Education article, the DOE issued a statement. And let me read you the statement. Whether a closure or a merger is preferred depends on the underlying circumstances, including what the acquiring school is planning to do with the school they are purchasing. I don't think they mean the word purchasing. I think they mean the word merging with. The statement goes on to read, in most cases, a merger is more appropriate. And this is the important part, but there are plenty of times, the DOE is quoted in, in their statement, there are plenty of times when a closure is more practical. It is a small leap of logic to read between the lines that the Department of Education believes more closures will stabilize the higher education market more than any set of complex and slowly developing mergers. This is Gary Stalker. This has been another episode of This Week in College Viability. I have some links for you in the show notes down below.